I'm back. So friends, as I, as I mentioned a moment ago, tonight is episode two of our annual vision and mission campaign called Making Our House a Home. We launched it last week at our One Church service. We do this every year because we want to set forward the vision for what God is calling us to in the new year. And we want to invite you to be the church with us, not just attend the church, but to be the church, to give of all that God has given you for his mission and his vision that he has given to the church. You see, Jesus is the one that established the church. The big C universal church, Jesus is Lord and King, and he is leading us. But the way that the big C church, the universal church, is advanced in the world is through the local church. It's through you and me. And there's very clear uh, distinctives and callings and charges in Scripture for how we are to be together. So we're going to look at that tonight of what does it mean to build the home of God. We call this series Making Our House a Home because we want this to be a home for you, a place where you take ownership, where you have responsibility, where you engage, where you serve, where you live out a culture of generosity. And this is going to culminate in next Sunday, which is our Pledge Sunday. It's your opportunity to say, hey, I am investing in this community. I'm investing in this church. I want to pledge my time. Here are the ways that I feel God is calling me to pledge. I want to pledge my talent. Here are the teams that I want to serve in. I'm going to pledge my treasure for the next year. This helps us in many ways. The two primary ways I want to share with you is it helps us to lead you well. All the leaders, the elders, the deacons, the pastors, it helps us to care for you and to shepherd you and to help you step into the calling and the purpose that God has for you because when you tell us the time and the talents that you believe that God is calling you to pledge, we're able to come alongside of you and help you find your place and your purpose here in Miami and in this church. And then secondly, when you pledge your treasure, it helps us to set the budget for the year. Can I get an amen on a good budget? Yeah. It's important. Believe me, we have some finance team members in the room. We know it's important. They tell me all the time. So we invite you to pledge your treasure for next year because we want to be good stewards. We want to know what God has for us and how we can use it in the city and in the church to build community and to resource this community to serve people in need. And your pledge helps us to set an accurate budget because as a church, our only income is your generosity. And so I want to encourage you to pledge your, your treasure as well. And I want to tell you this disclaimer. I always think it's really important. None of the pastors and none of the leaders see your financial pledges. I have no idea that's, that stays with our finance department. I, I don't want to know. Nobody in our leadership knows. So that's really important for you to know. That's for accountability and for us to just to um, care for each other well. So, so you know that blanket statement. So this is episode two tonight called Building the Home of God. And I actually want to read the passage first, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. If you have our app, you can click on the notes section. I put a lot of notes there so you can follow along. If you don't have the app, you can go to, to your app store Type in Crossbridge Brickle app, download it there for free. Here's God's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Here's what he says. 
For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he or she will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he or she will suffer loss, though he, he or she will be saved, but only through fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to do an exercise tonight, and uh, this is called church observation, okay? You're going to have to go with me here. I want to ask everyone on this side of the room to stand up, okay? Stand up. Everybody on this side of the room, stand up. And I want you to look around the church and just observe. Look at the people around you. Look over here and make these people feel awkward. Look around the room. Observe things. Think about how you feel right now and what you're noticing, who you're seeing. Okay? Sit down. Now this side of the room, you get to stand up and make them feel awkward. You guys stand up. Look around the room. Look behind you. Look at people next to you. Take some observations. What do you notice? Okay, you can sit back down. I'm not going to tell you why, why I did that yet. I'm going to tell you later. I'm going to tell you some observations from up here. One, the lights are bright. Okay? So I can see less than you think I can see. That's probably why people don't sit up in the front. <laughs> I also can see that many of you are creatures of habit. You sit in the same seats every single week. And I know. And I know that it bothers you if someone sits in your seat. Okay? I also can see that you're in rows. Pastors like rows. Because it's organized and everybody's facing forward. Most churches in America are comprised of some sort of rows. And many of them have lights. And many of them are full of creatures of habit. But the arrangement and the organization of the church is highly contextual. See, the way that church looks and feels here in Miami is not the same that it's going to look in different countries and different places all across the world. It's not how it looked in the early church. The early church was very different in its expressions, especially the church in Corinth. So in the early church, the first century church, they had no physical buildings. They had no microphones. There was no lights. There was no uh, video. There wasn't an online audience that was brought into worship. It's very different. There were houses that people met in. They would meet in the temples or in the synagogues. They would also sometimes, in some of the bigger cities, rent lecture halls when they were not being used and meet there. Because the church was kind of moving and finding space wherever it could as it was growing. The church was not really focused on the building at all. It was focused on the people, on building a spiritual home not necessarily a physical home. This is what it looked like. And if you want to know what the first century church was devoted to, you don't have to look any further than Acts chapter 2, where 
we read about the devotion of the people in the room, whether they were in the temple or in a house or in a synagogue or a lecture hall, they were devoted to the same things. Here are the Christian distinctives. The teachings from the leaders. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to common meals and communion. They were devoted to a common vision and unity. They were devoted to ministries of mercy, both in the church and in the city. They were committed to showing deep love for one another and sharing what they had with one another, a culture of generosity. This is what the church was committed to. Now, some of the churches in the first century had rows. In the temple and in the synagogue, there were rows and some amplified sounds by the architecture. And some of them met in the homes. It was very informal. They'd sit in circles around a table and maybe share a meal But their focus and their devotion was on building the spiritual home of God. And look where we are today. As Jesus launched the church and called the church to grow and to love each other and the spirit empowered the church, they were devoted to these things. And it's how they built the home of God. Now we have to ask ourselves a question, which is, are we doing something wrong by having church like this? in rows with lights and cameras and allowing the creatures of habit to find their seats and not mixing it up? Are we doing something wrong? Of course not. Because the church has changed over the years. It's not about the building. It's not about the organization even of how the service is. For over the centuries, we have seen the church change built beautiful cathedrals to exemplify the transcendence and the beauty and the creativity of God. We have seen underground movements still to this day that are nomadic. We've seen churches meet around campfires and churches meet in homes of friends, all different sizes, all different styles because the arrangement and the organization of the church is contextual. What makes the church unique is what we are devoted to, our commitment to one another. But we have to be honest about something. We have to be honest that in the American church model, which there's nothing wrong with, but we have to be careful with it. Because from the parking to the greeters to the coffee to coming and sitting in rows to the audio and visual and lighting production to the desired ending time, all of these things can lead us to feeling like we're an audience and not the church. We come to church because we consume content or we receive some spiritual nuggets that will help us through the week or for some type of emotional feeling that we need. We come to receive, which is wonderful, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to be careful in our organization and arrangement of the church that we don't believe that we're the audience in the room and we fail to act as the church because we're called to be devoted to the very same things. Teaching and fellowship and common meals and communion and unity and a common vision and ministries of mercy and a culture of generosity and a spirit of serving one another. We are called to the very same things and we have to be careful. I want you to think back on that exercise where I had you stand up and feel awkward and look around the room. And I want you to think about some of the things that you thought or some of the things that you felt. Maybe you notice that there's people in the room that you don't know, never seen them before in your life. Maybe you thought, there's people I see that I'm looking at 
that I've seen before, but I don't know their name. Maybe you stood up and you felt like, I don't like that people are looking at me. Or maybe you stood up and you thought, this is my first time here. This is a weird church. (laughs) These are all normal and expected things. That's okay. But here's why I'm telling you this. It is normal and it's expected in almost every church in America to come in and see people you don't know. It's It's common to come in and see people that you recognize but you don't know their names. It's common to come in and and feel concerned and and maybe nervous about people looking at you or putting too much attention on you because there is a lot of church hurt and there is a lot of pain that is oftentimes associated with the institutionalized church and church leaders. We have to be honest about that. These things are real feelings, but the reason I had you do that exercise is because I want you to understand it is not the desired feeling or belief. See, Jesus' call for us is to be the church, that we would be known by our love for one another. And that means if we know people in the church, or we see people that we don't know, what is the calling? To meet them, <laughs> to show them love. If you've seen someone several weeks in a row and you don't know their name, what are you supposed to do? Introduce yourself. If you feel like there's a culture where people cannot feel safe and known and seen and loved, what is your calling? help build that culture. See, we are the church. We're not an audience. We're called to be devoted together. We're called to grow in knowing each other where people come in and they feel like they can be seen and they can be loved and they can be accepted, that they can belong, as the sign says when you walk in, before you believe. It's a place of belonging, not a place of distance. This is who we are to be. See, Making Our House a Home is a vision campaign about making our house a home for everyone. My prayer has been that we would continue to grow to be a place where everyone can come to be seen and heard and loved and known. Regardless of where they're at in their spiritual journey, they can find a place here and a people here. My prayer is that this place and these people in this room would take up space in your life outside of Sunday. And that doesn't mean that I think that you should go to every church program. It means that the people and the mission of the church should be a part of your life because church is not just Sunday evening where you come as an audience member. You are the church all throughout the week. My prayer is that you would be able to say with full authenticity that Crossbridge Brickle is mi gente and mi casa. My people and my home. That is who we are called to be, friends. And this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He's warning them because they've been building the church wrong. And he wants them to see who they are called to be. Look what it says in verse 9. Because Paul wants this church and us to get our identity right. Verse 9, he writes... For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Notice the language. We, it's not just you, it's not individual, it's corporate. We are God's fellow workers. Two things there. One thing that jumps out is that we're workers. We're called to build, we're engaged, we're active. An audience is passive. The church, we are active, we are working together As fellow workers, we're building something. The second thing is that we are gods. That's really important. 
You're not a worker on your own. You are God's possession. You are God's fellow workers. And the way that the Apostle Paul wants to build this this imagery in your mind of interdependence between one another, that we as the church are God's possession, that we are his. He is our king and our Lord and our savior. That's why Paul says that we have one faith and one baptism and one spirit. We're one. We are his possession. But he wants us to see that we are together. There's an interdependence between us, and that's why he says that we are God's field and God's building. Now think about a field. When I think about a field, I think about a sectioned off area of land where crops are planted. And a field has some things in common. One, all the crops in that field receive the same sun. They drink from the same rain. They share the same type of soil with the same nutrients. You see, the imagery that Paul is building is that we are all planted together. Our roots grow next to each other. You know, one of the tallest trees in the world, the redwood forest, the redwood trees, you know why they can grow so tall? It's not because they're, they're so round and you can drive a car through them if you go through. It's because the roots not only go deep, but they go wide and they, inter, they intertwine with the other tree roots. So they all hold each other up. That's the imagery of us as the field. We're interdependent, connected, drinking from the same sun and the same rain, sharing the same nutrients. And a building, think about a building. A building has different materials and different functions. There's doors, there's windows, there's walls, there's a roof. It's unique. There's different unique parts of a building, but they are all placed on the same foundation, and they are connected together by common elements, nails and concrete. So though the roof is separate from a door, they're all actually connected as one building. The imagery that Paul wants us to see is that we're meant to be together. We are workers together, God's field and God's building, that we are people that are called to not only come together, but to keep together. We're to be keeping together. You have a part to play in this, friends. You're not just an audience member. And that's why Paul continues in verse 10 and 11, and he says this, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he or she builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, every now and then I have to do this, which is I I bring out the inner nerd in me, which I'm going to do right now, okay? So buckle your seatbelt. This here in 1 Corinthians, these two verses form what's called a chiasm. A chiasm is a literary device where there's a sequence of ideas that build to a point and then reverse the order. It's like a mirror effect where the first ideas mirror the second ideas. And the reason that authors, especially ancient authors, and you see this all throughout scripture, they use this chiastic device is because they want to put your emphasis and your focus on the points that are mirrored. So to help you picture this, I made a little chart. Here's the chiasm. Check this out. This is how Paul lays it out. He's building these things to mirror each other. He says in verse 10 that he laid a foundation for the church. Then he says, now someone else is building it, 
But then he warns that someone. He says, let each one, that someone, take care of how they build it. And then he reverses the order at the very back end, and he says, the foundation that he laid is the foundation of Jesus Christ. This structure is causing you to focus on two things, both, both parts of A and B. Those go together. So the first thing is he wants you to see the specific foundation on which the church is laid. He wants to specify the foundation, and that's very clear. The foundation of the church is what? Jesus Christ. He wants you to understand that he established the church not for his needs, not upon his ego, not for any kind of ambition that was his. He founded it because Jesus had called him to plant churches, specifically in Corinth, and it's founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. He speaks about this by saying, when I planted the church, I planted like a skilled master builder. Meaning, it's not like Paul just walked into Corinth and then all of a sudden like a church just arrived. He was strategic. There was wisdom. He was organized. He was using his talents and his time to think about how to plant a church in one of the most immoral cities in the history of the world, Corinth. He was a skilled master builder as he built this church, as he was a fellow worker for God's possession, calling him to plant the church. He plants it upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ. It's founded on him alone. So he wants to get that right. We as the church, when we build, we don't build out of ego. We don't build for our own needs. We don't build for ambition. We build upon Jesus because he is the foundation of the church. It is his church. It's the body of Christ. He is the head. He is the leader. He's the foundation. The second part of this chiastic structure is the the clear focus, the main focus, you might say, that he wants to get out, which is that he gives a warning to the builders. See, he's saying that we're building the church on the foundation that is Jesus Christ, and then he says, I want to warn you that are building the church. He says, someone else now is building. He's not there in Corinth any longer. Someone else is building. You're like, oh man, who's he throwing shade at? You know, like, who's, he, who's doing it wrong? He's speaking to the whole church. Because the very next verse, he says, let each one of you take care of how you build. So he's speaking to the whole church. He gives this warning. He says, it's important that you understand that you're called to build the church. You're God's fellow workers. There's a togetherness and interdependence because you're God's field. You're God's building. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. But I'm giving you a warning because now you're building the church. And you need to take care of how you build it. See, it's very clear that this is why Paul is writing this letter when you read the whole letter. And you see like, okay, the church from the very beginning was a mess because it's got messy people like you and me building it. You read about the church in Corinth, there's all types of division. There's all types of immorality that's being swept under the rug and tolerated. There's a a lack of understanding about the Spirit's work. There's a disorder in the corporate gathering of the church. There's a lack of love. There's all types of issues. There's discrimination between rich and poor. There's a lot of issues in the church. And Paul is coming to them and saying, listen, you are a fellow worker. You're God's possession. You're to be together with one another. 
the foundation is Jesus, not any of your other preferences or ideas or needs. He's the foundation, and you need to be really careful how you build. And then he speaks about the reason behind this. Look what he says in the next few verses. Verse 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, what he's saying here is that you need to return to building on the foundation that is Jesus. But he wants them to understand that there's an intentionality and an importance in the work that you do, the building that you do as the church. He lays out six materials here. Gold, silver, precious stones, those go together. And then wood, hay, and straw, those go together. Why? Because he wants to say something, which is this. In the church, as people founded upon Jesus Christ, there's two types of builders. We are all founded on Jesus Christ. We are all interdependent together. We're of God's own possession. We're his field. We are his building, but there's two types of builders in the church. There are builders that build with perishable things, like wood and hay and straw. And there are builders that build with imperishable things, gold and silver and precious stones. See, what he says is that there's builders that build with these things, and when the day arrives, when he says the day, when day is capital in the New Testament, it means the return of Jesus. On the last day, when Jesus returns, it says something's going to happen. There's going to be a testing of everyone's work. All the work that has been done in the church, the building of the home of God, is going to be tested with fire. It's going to reveal the quality of the work. Fire all throughout the Bible, is, it brings up the imagery of purification, for you would form elements and things from fire. So fire on the last day is going to purify all the work that's been done in the church. And it's going to reveal that some work is imperishable, and it receives a reward, and some work is going to be burned up. And those that experience that will suffer loss. Notice the materials. Fire does not burn up stones or silver or gold. Those things are purified through it. But fire does burn up wood and, stray and straw and hay. Two types of builders on the same foundation. It's a warning. Now here's the really good news, okay? Because you may be like, oh man, this is not great. How am I building? <laughs> Here's what's so beautiful about the grace of our God and the goodness of our God. And this is the good news of the gospel. The fire that purifies your work does not purify the worker. The fire that purifies your work to give you this, that, that reveals whether or not it's burned up or whether or not it's imperishable and therefore grants an additional re mysterious reward from God, it purifies the work but not the worker. That's why Paul says, listen, 
Even if you build with these imperishable things, maybe out of your own wisdom or for your own needs, and it's not founded upon Jesus or some other ambition involved in your building in the church, and it gets burned up, you're going to suffer loss. There's a loss there, but you will be saved. Why? Because the fire on the last day that, that purifies the work of the church It does not purify the worker because we are already founded upon Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus on the cross has already purified us. We are forgiven. We are loved. Our guilt and our shame is done. We are buried with Christ. We are risen with Christ. We are eternally secure. And yet, now that we're eternally secure, our calling, Paul is emphasizing, is that we are to build the spiritual home of God, not from a place of wanting a reward, but from a place of gratitude. Knowing that even the work that gets mixed with our worldly wisdom, and sometimes we build with hay or with wood, and we we think it's great, but it's not going to survive the purification of fire. It doesn't affect our soul and our eternal standing with God. And with one another. But it is a warning for us to think and be intentional of how we build the church. Because we are saved by grace, not by works. And any works that we do, which God has prepared for us, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9, for us to walk in, those are out of a spirit of gratitude for we are already eternally secure. See, here's one of the things that I think sometimes we get wrong in the church or we miss. And I hope you're staying with me here. And that is this. Righteousness is received, but it's also given as a responsibility. See, it's not like this. Hey, Jesus, you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. I believe in you. I'm now righteous in you, Jesus, so I can go do whatever I want. Do you believe that? I hope not. Now, you could go do whatever you want, and you are still forgiven because of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. But those that have received righteousness as a gift in Christ by grace through faith, how that bears witness in your life is that you realize that righteousness is also a responsibility. You have received righteousness. You are eternally secure in Christ, but you have a present scope for Christ. You are saved from your sins, but you're also saved for something. Do you know that? And you're not saved for your eternity only as you just sit and wait. You're saved for you to engage the city and the church and the people of God now. You're called to be a builder. You're God's fellow worker. You're his field. You're his building. You're called to build with imperishable materials because there is a mysterious reward that we're not even told, but we trust in God's goodness that we can't wait to see what it is. When we build well, we have received the righteousness of Christ, but there's also a responsibility to live righteously. I wrote it like this. Righteousness received as a gift is to be pursued as a new responsibility. That's why when you come to faith in Jesus, everything changes. Your desires change, your thoughts change, your convictions change, because righteousness is now something to pursue, and the Apostle Paul is trying to get at the fact that the gift of righteousness is received, and the responsibility of righteousness, it grants you eternal security, you will be saved no matter what through Christ, but it also gives you a present scope for 
Christ, that we are to be thinking of whether or not we are building the church with imperishable materials. We're skilled workers like Paul. We don't, church is not just happenstance. We're intentional. We're thoughtful. We're not the audience. We're the people of God building the home of God. And you, know what, you want to know how you build with imperishable materials? Sometimes we make things too complicated in the church. Here's how you build with imperishable materials. By following the guidance of the imperishable word. You know what remains? God's word. It remains. So how do you build the church with imperishable materials? Well, you follow God's imperishable word. And what does he tell us? We are to be people devoted to one another. We're to be people that devoted to teaching and to prayers and to fellowship and to common meals and to ministries of mercy and to a culture of generosity and to a spirit of togetherness. We are one body, many members. We're God's field. We're his building. We are his fellow workers. So I want to ask you a question. Are you building the church or just observing it? Are you building the church or just observing it? Are you okay with coming to church and not knowing people? Are you okay with coming to the church and showing up for Jesus but not showing out for Jesus? Are you okay with coming to church and receiving from church but not giving to church? Are you okay with coming to church and being served by people at church but not serving church? Are you okay with just coming together but not keeping together? See, we're called to be builders, friends. We're not an audience. I hope you feel charged and encouraged to be the people of God as God has called us to be a spirit of togetherness. Let me tell you this. On the last day, which is going to be a beautiful day for each and every one of us that believe in faith in Jesus, praise God, it's going to be the greatest day. But Jesus is not going to be concerned with how hard you worked to get to church on Sunday night at 5 p.m. He's going to be concerned with how hard you work to build the church Sunday through Saturday. That's what he's concerned with. This is vital. This is important. We have to come together as God's people. It's refreshing. He's, the Spirit encourages us and equips us and the corporate gathering. But church is not just an hour and a half on Sunday evenings. We're to build the church. We just got off the Activated series where we're asking you to to experience and to open up for the activation of the spirit, for the spiritual gifts that God has given you. God's calling you to use those, friends, to build the church. Those are imperishable materials. Jesus is looking for a people who have received the righteousness that he has offered through his life and his death and his resurrection and are also actively accepting the responsibility to live righteously Jesus is looking for a people that are secure in him, but have a present scope for him in their city, in their place of work, in their home, in their friendships, and in their church. Church, we should be a home. And this is a home that you own. This is not a house that you rent and you use. This is a home that you own. And guess what? There's no interest rates here. No mortgage. Jesus paid for it. It is ours free. Our community, our opportunity to worship together, our calling and our purpose, it is free. But we're to take responsibility. Can you imagine being gifted a home, no interest rate, no mortgage, and then you just don't take care of it? 
You let the weeds grow. You don't put any bug spray. You don't even have furniture. Imagine, Jesus has given us the home of God where he is present when we are gathered, where there is purpose and vision and mission and calling. It's given to us. We should take care of it. We should build it the way he's called us to. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful that you have given us this home. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve each other, but you have given us a community that is diverse in so many different ways, and we just thank you for that. We celebrate what you're building here. We celebrate what you're going to continue to build, and God, we just ask that you would move in a powerful way through our lives, that you would activate within us a spirit of service and mercy and generosity and unity and a desire to be together, to know each other, to celebrate each other, to be the church Sunday through Saturday, each and every week. Give us that perspective. Give us that heart. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.